With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, Bill Ingram, Randy Sully here for Hoops Talk. We're going to uh, revisit the, the Clyde Drexler trade to the Houston Rockets. We're going to give a little background to it and talk about with the man himself, Bill Ingram, who remembers it all like it was yesterday, what was going on when Clyde the Clyde Drexler was traded from the Portland Trailblazers to the Houston Rockets and won the NBA championship back in 1995. And I'm not going to lie to you, for, for some of us, 1995 feels like yesterday. It was, it was over uh, 24 years ago, and that's pretty crazy. To think, and for, well, for those who are just joining us now, uh, my name is Randy Zelia, and joining me is the man behind the microphone, the man behind the pen, the man behind the keyboard, and he is the legend himself, Mr. Bill Ingram. And Bill, good afternoon. Well, clearly that was one of the great Cinderella stories in the history. Oh, wait, that's Bill Walton. Sorry. That was one of the great Cinderella <laughs> stories uh, when you talk about the book ending of Clyde and Akeem's careers where they go from playing college together, Five Flame and Jamming University of Houston, and then having to compete against each other for years, and then finally getting to back together and winning a championship. Uh, but ironically, now we teased this last week, it was not the first time that Clyde Drexler almost landed in Houston via trade with the Portland Trailblazers. I met with uh, longtime Rockets assistant coach, Rudy T's assistant coach, and then general manager of the Houston Rockets, Carol Dawson, right before he retired, and we did kind of a career retrospective. And um, he told me a story that has stuck with me ever since. It's a story that would have transformed the NBA for two decades in a way differently than it played out. So the Rockets had drafted Ralph Sampson the same year that the Blazers drafted Clyde Drexler. Then the following year, the Blazers had the number one pick in the draft, which they famously took Sam Bowie. Um, and then the Rockets had the number, what was it, two? Two or three. It was Portland, Houston, it Chicago. It was the number two. Yeah, the no, no, number two pick because they, they picked Bowie and then they had Jordan. Two, three. Yeah. So the Rockets, the, the Blazers called the Rockets. They really wanted a center. Uh, and so they offered Clyde Drexler and their number one pick in exchange for Houston's choice, Hakeem Olajuwon or Ralph Sampson. So imagine how the league plays out differently if the Rockets take that deal and they keep Hakeem and they get Clyde and then they draft Michael Jordan. And then yeah, if would, you're playing 2K, been... they go 82-0 and 0 every year and win the championship. <laughs> <laughs> well, only in 2K though. That stuff doesn't really work in real life. No, that's true. Uh, and trust me, I tried. Um, you know, <laughs> I will tell you that before we get too deep into it, you can follow Bill and I both on uh, BassSportsPage.com 
And also, you can follow Bill at The Rocket Guy on Twitter. I know I sh- you should be plugging your Twitter account, but I'm going to do it today. And you can follow me at Randy BSP. Uh, you can, of course, go to at Back Sports Page on both Instagram and Twitter, BackSportsPage.com, and on Back Sports Page on Facebook. Uh, and let's, uh, let's set it up a little bit here. Clyde the Glide Drexler was drafted by the Portland Trailblazers in an era where teams were not going crazy as far as making moves, joining up uh, with, with other marquee players. You know, Portland, yeah, not at all. Portland Trailblazers yeah. were, in, you know, just three years before or four years before. Was it, no, it was three years before. We're in the finals against the Chicago Bulls led by Clyde the Glide Drexler. And that's right. So we are coming off of that part. Rick Adelman was the coach. Terry Porter was the point guard. They had Kevin Duckworth. They had Buck Williams. It was a Buck Williams, Jerome Kersey, Danny yeah. Ainge was on that team. Yep. Danny, Danny Young Danny was Ainge the backup was on that point team. guard. <laughs> yep. In fact, six I, man. In fact, I will tell you. I will tell you during the postseason that year, going into the NBA Finals, he was averaging twenty six point three points per game shooting 46% from, from the field. I'll tell you, he was the guy. He was not what we like to call a three-point specialist. <laughs> he was um, – No, but he hit him in big situations. <laughs> yeah, he would hit big shots, but, man, he was, he was big. And he was, you know, 80, 80% free-throw shooter, had the opportunity – remember, two NBA Finals appearances – because he was also there in 1990 against the Detroit Pistons as well. So Clyde was the guy for this team for a very, very long time. And he was, you know, I think once, you know, I sent you over some clippings and I'm going to give a little bit more background of let's just let us set the tone there. Drafted in 80, drafted in 84. And I'm, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you some regular season stats if it's okay with you. Sure. You know, right. rookie year, rookie year coming out, averaged, uh, you know, he averaged 17 points a game. His second year averaged 39, 31 points a game. And I'm sorry, no, that, 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 I apologize. That is not 100% accurate. He was, his rookie season, he averaged 7.7 points per game. He didn't second start year, as a rookie right off the bat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. He only started three games his, his rookie season. His second year, he started 43 games, averaging 17 points a game. 18 points a game his third year, back in 86. 21 points in 87. 27 points per game in 88. 27 points in 89. 23 points per game and only playing 73 games. Back in 90, 91, 21.5 points a game. I played all 82. The 92 finals year, 25 points per game. In 1993, averaged about 19.9 points a game. And then the 93-94 season, his last season in uh, Portland, played 68 games, only averaged 19 points. Keep in mind, during the 92-93 season, got hurt, only averaged 19 a game, only played 49 games. So the Blazers fan base was largely saying that he was washed up, time to trade Clyde. And uh, I was living in that. I was going to college up there at the time in Blazer mania. The entire state of Oregon is Blazer crazy. Um, and the fan base turned on him, and they sort of blamed him for the team well, not winning the championship, even though he was by far – I mean, he was the best player in the Western Conference 
at that time. Yeah. Well, and let's also forget that the following year, the year before, the 93-94 Portland Trailblazers team knocked out in the first in the first, in the first round in four games. He averaged 21 points a game. But the culture had changed up at one point, too. They had, they, they had let go of Rick Adelman. Uh, and also, yep, who there, there loved. Was a, yeah. who, who he loved. And going into the 94-95 season, going into that season, this is a year, no, no, I'm sorry, that was the, the year that he got traded. Before the season started, there was more rumors of being traded. I sent you this article uh, earlier in the day when I was doing some research. But the Miami Heat and the Portland Trailblazers were talking. Now, this is, this is going to be, you have to think back at that time frame when I tell you what this trade was. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll read you the headline. Baby the Miami Jordan. Heat are, has, has negotiated, a, negotiated with the Portland Trailblazers over a trade that would bring all-star and dream team guard Clyde Drexler to South Florida for the disgruntled guard Harold Miner, sources close to the potential deal. The trade, which has received mixed reaction in the Heat organization, mixed reaction of the Heat organization, <laughs> would give the Heat an all-star on the downside of his career for a first-round pick who has expressed his desire to get away from the Miami Heat and coach Kevin Lowry. Heat managing partner Louis Schaffel said Monday night, we don't comment on trades. We asked that the deal was correct. Schaffel said no comment. Well, the deal would appear almost lopsided in favor of the Heat. There are several factors that have the Heat weighing the virtues of the transaction. So I think this is one of the first times you're sort of hearing this your reaction to that? Well, it's not my first time hearing it. I remember when they were talking about Baby Jordan, and you got to remember Harold Miner was a player that some people thought were was going to be a next Michael Jordan-type player, and that, that never did pan out, obviously, because most people listening to this don't remember who he was. But at the time, it was like, well, it was still lopsided because Drexler was Drexler. But Portland was thinking, oh, if he does blow up, we'd like to have him you know, put a team around this guy, maybe he'll be our next star player. Um, but, hey, fortunately for Portland, that didn't work out. Not that they fared all that well uh, in the deal they ultimately made. They got Otis Thorpe, which Otis Thorpe was a very underrated uh, power forward, great rebounder. Dr. Duncan Stein, man, he'd, he'd run down the, the fast break and had these huge hands. He had these incredible one-handed, like, windmill dunks and stuff on the fast break. Uh, and was great next to Akeem. I mean, obviously, they they won a championship together. Very uh, complimented Akeem very well. But he was a much better player for Portland than Harold Miner would have been. I, agreed. And now let's, let's fast forward a little bit to the Portland side of things. Uh, well, from Clyde's perspective, uh, in his book, Clyde the Glide, uh, with Kerry Egan's, uh, when the topic Eggers, came up yeah. of long-time Oregonian yeah, writer, Carrie Eggers. I apologize, Carrie, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. Uh, blame Bill. Um, <laughs> but I got your back, man. I got yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> Carrie's got your back. Shout out, to, shout out to Carrie for an awesome publication that he did. Uh, this book is still available through Amazon, uh, and you know there's obviously different books, different copies of this all over the place. But this comment of why Clyde departed from the Portland Trailblazers got some more clarity. I'm going to read a little excerpt here. Bill, get your reaction. I'll give my reaction. Um, this was between the summer of the 
394 season and going into the 94-95 season. Uh, during the summer, a wave of changes swept over the coaching staff and the front, and the front office. Rick Adelman was fired and after five and a half seasons as coach. P.J. Uh, Carlissimo replaced him, and Jeff uh, Petri resigned as the team's senior vice president. In his place came Bob Wizit, whose, the title, whose titles were now president and general manager. Wizit had been in charge of the Seattle Supersonics for the previous six seasons. I'm probably butchering his name, and I apologize for that. Um, no, you got him all right. Clyde then Bob Wizit? Okay. <laughs> yeah, Bob Wizit. Um, yeah. Clyde then went on, I never would have let Rick go. We had a great relationship. It hurt me when he was fired. I mean, first you take away my center, Kevin Duckworth. Then you take away my coach. Then Petra was gone. And then also removed the team doctor, Bob Cook. I really enjoyed those people. I had some problems with that. I was extremely unhappy with those moves. Change is inevitable, but it was now clear that everything was going to be torn apart. I never talked to Winsett until training camp that, that fall. I wasn't sure what to think. Later I found out for certain. He said, PJ was a nice, very nice guy. I liked him a lot. Nothing against him, but Rick was an all-star caliber coach. PJ was coming straight out of college. He had an excellent staff. I had a great respect for Dick Harder. And Rick Harlow proved himself as a fine coach at Detroit and Indiana. I enjoyed playing for PJ. He was not on the same level as Rick. It kind of set us back. Time was running out for this team to win a championship, and I felt it was the best interest for everyone to trade me and continue the rebuilding process. During camp, I went to Bob and told him I wanted, wanted to be traded. He said, Clyde, let's wait and see what we have, see how this team is playing. Let's give PJ a chance. If you really want to be traded, play well so I can get you someone, some, someone good in return for you. I just wanted to get out at that point. My role on this team has changed. I was no longer the do-everything guy. I had fewer opportunities to do things. It was probably for the best. They weren't sure how healthy I was going to be. PJ tried to work with me. He was trying to get Rod Strickland more of a chance to create and penetrate, trying to get Cliff Robinson a few more scoring opportunities and trying to bring along some of the younger players. The team worked well together. We played hard. PJ demanded that, and that's what I liked about it. We knew Winsett was brought in by Paul to be the hatchet man. Paul wasn't tricking anybody with the move. We were, we were going to be gone pretty soon. It was time for them to rebuild, and I needed a change of scenery. So, yep, and I remember all that like it was yesterday, man. I, I got to tell you, the two players I followed avidly uh, as a kid when all this was happening were Akeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler. Uh, I remembered them playing in Houston, uh, and when Akeem was drafted by the Rockets, that was obviously a, a massive uh, deal, plenty of fanfare in Houston. Uh, and my grandmother was a, up in Oregon, was a lifelong diehard, I mean diehard, Blazers fan. So I followed the Blazers too. And uh, when all that went down, you know, Bob Whitsitt, people in Portland know him better as Trader Bob because that's, he just was always trading off everybody. And uh, that, was, that was tough because Rick Edelman was a household name. He coached. Uh, he, his coaching career started in Salem at Chemeketa Community College, where I also attended uh, after he was done there. And he was a he was an Oregon guy, you know, like he was he was the one of the heroes of the team as much as any of the players. So when Rick was gone and they started to dismantle the team, and then more people, there was a lot of pressure on Clyde, uh, and he 
really, I mean, you completely understand. Like he's saying, look, I'm I'm not being asked about these moves that are being made, and we're taking steps back in front office and coaching because Jeff Petrie was fabulous too running that team. Uh, and But I'm expected to somehow pick up the slack from that, and that's not fair. So I'm happy to go somewhere else. And obviously Houston, his hometown, he was beyond happy about that move. And, and eventually the Blazers would find the perfect landing spot for Drexler in Houston. It gave Drexler the chance to play with former college teammate Hakeem Olajuwon and compete for a championship with the defending champion Houston Rockets. At the time of the trade, Drexler had been played 41 games up to that point, averaging 22 points a game, 5.7 rebounds, 5.1 assists, and about almost two steals a game in about 34 minutes on the floor. Uh, he did not go alone. He brought Tracy Murray with him. Tracy is a very good fan of the show, which, by the way, Tracy told me he listened to our show from last week, Bill. I just wanted to let you know. Uh, Tracy was averaging about six points a game, almost uh, two boards a game in about 29 games of action, averaging about 10 minutes. Uh, and Portland was 25-20 and 20 at the time. And Houston was struggling at that point. They said it had that championship hangover going on around that point. Well, of the uh, Akeem was injured. And- yeah, they were they were having injury issues. Akeem was out. By the way, since Tracy's going to listen, hey, man, Tracy Murray was a huge fan favorite in Portland. His three-point shooting, uh, Rockets fans will think of Matt Bullard and Pete Chilcutt and Mario Ellie and guys like that, but uh, Tracy Murray is one of those guys for Portland that, that helped facing with his uh, marksmanship. But, um, yeah, no, so uh, Akeem was, was struggling with injuries that season when they got Clyde. In fact, they played, I believe, a stretch of around 10 games without Akeem, and it was right down the stretch with playoff position on the line. And Clyde averaged 27.2, 27.4 points per game over that stretch and essentially carried them into the playoffs. And then Akeem got healthy, of course, and they, they won it all. But Clyde was an incredibly important part of that Houston team after the trade. Yeah. And it was it was absolutely essential because that team did not end up as a number one seed in the uh, in in the playoffs. You know that team. No. You know, they, they picked up. They picked up. Uh, you know, obviously Drexler came there. The Rockets struggled the second half of the season, posting a 17-18 record on their way to finishing third in the Midwest Division with a 47-35 record overall. Um, Akeem Olajuwon was selected to the 95 All Star Game. This is courtesy of Wikipedia, by the way, so take it for what it's worth. What it's worth. The Rockets <laughs> were a sixth seed going into the playoffs, playing the third seed, the Utah Jazz. The Jazz actually took a two-to-one series lead. You remember this all too well. Uh, but the Rockets went to win Clutch the series City, in five games. Yep. And then, of course, game one of that Phoenix Sun series, I think after the Kevin Johnson dunk, it was over for, <laughs> it was over for Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'll tell you something that just occurred to me. My memory just this just popped up randomly. Um, when it, when Clyde was traded in Portland, in Oregon, the feeling was, yeah, he's washed up, he's done, we'd rather have somebody else. And he was just getting a lot of negative publicity, like good riddance kind of thing. Then, when they won the championship, I had uh, my family in Houston. This Now, this is before the Internet. You couldn't go on Amazon and order your Rockets championship T-shirt. You had to have somebody go into Academy or one of the street side vendors and get shirts for you. And so I had shirts and a hat sent to me. And then I'm walking around, and the same people who were talking about good riddance to Clyde were like, 
hey, where'd you get your shirt, man? I need a Clyde Drexler championship. I'm like, uh-huh, nope, sorry. I'm not even going to ask somebody <laughs> to send me one for you because a, a month ago you were just sure Clyde was washed up. And look what he just did. Yeah, well, it's funny, too, because you remember he – I think he looked at this opportunity, too. And I'm going to look for – I was trying to find his quotes about when he was shaved, but when he first time over Houston – he was just not responsive to media whatsoever. He pretty much shut, shut himself down because he knew what they wanted. He wanted something yep. negative against Portland. He wanted, and he was yep. too smart to do it. He was way too, too smart classy. to do it. So he, there was just nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And, Clyde and it's not bad like mouth, today where, you know, yeah, Clyde, Clyde, it's not like it's um, where today where social media, you can put your, put your voice out there. you, if you're not getting, there's there's only a certain amount of media that was there, and if they're not getting you, you're, they're they're not talking, and that's just the way yeah. it was at that point in time. Yep. So, so let so let's break this down a little bit here. Uh, his his stats when going over to Houston, the rest the rest of the way had been very 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 um, very balanced. Because I guess maybe because Elijah Wan was out for quite a few games towards during that run, but tell me if these yep. numbers sound a little bit a little bit accurate for you. So he played 22 games in Houston when he first got there, averaged 20.5 points a game. He averaged about seven rebounds a game. Because remember, at that point too, you traded Otis Thorpe for your second big man, who is opposite yep. of Elijah. Needed rebounding. So you're losing rebounding. Mm-hmm. And he also averaged about five assists a game. So do you think the 22, the 22 games that he had, averaging 20 points, seven boards, and five assists, and a very key stat here, uh, two steals a game. Uh, yeah, well, Clyde, Clyde the was the do-it-all player. He really was. And the fact that he's – I wish – and I'm sure there's a split somewhere where you could see, okay, Akeem was out these games and during those games because Clyde – averaged 27 over a stretch of games where Akeem was out, very important games. But then when Akeem comes back, he knows he's not the guy, you know, like he's, he's there to be Robin. He's been Batman and he's there to be Robin, though he can play either role. And that's what you see with his assists, his rebounding. You know, they told him, look, we just traded our starting power forward. So we need you to do some rebounding. And Clyde was a very good rebounder. Uh, and a very good distributor and, and a hard-nosed defender and all of those things. And, of course, we're talking about a time when the NBA was – I mean, if you didn't play defense, you weren't going anywhere, and the Rockets were an elite defensive team. So he came in playing that defense as well. It's why he fit so well with the Rockets. He was willing to do anything and everything. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's the key is he was able to do anything and just fit in. Uh, and I think when you get, unlike guys like Dwight Howard today or, you know, Carmelo Anthony and some other different players in the league, it's hard for them just to sort of fit in. They don't, they don't want to sacrifice theirs because now it's about branding. Now it's about, I don't, I don't want to lose, you know, I don't want to say street cred or I don't want to lose any, anything else like that. Market appeal they don't, they, is really what it is. Yeah, marketing appeal. You know, Clyde was a Clyde was a silent superstar. And I think that's, and I think that's just something. As was Akeem. 
Akeem yeah. was the same way. He went out and worked hard and didn't. You didn't see his name in headlines. Part of it was his very thick accent. People, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, people don't he wasn't somebody that. Yeah. yeah, but uh, he wasn't the kind of guy that needed. He did. He never trash talk anybody. Uh, the one time he trash talked, and this is in his book, Living the Dream, um, was in the playoffs uh, the previous year, the year w- when they went to the finals with Otis Thorpe, and uh, they were playing the Jazz as they always seem to do in the playoffs, and Carl Malone was. Flopping all, you know. I've never seen a guy 275 pounds fall as many times as I mean. Carl Malone had the flop. He and Stockton, Stockton, of course, he would pull a defender down, he'd grab a defender by the trunks, and pull him, pull them down on top of him, and get a charge call when he was the one that initiated the contact. It made it made it irritating to watch the Jazz if you weren't a Jazz fan, I guess. But there was a play where on back-to-back plays. Uh, Carl Malone flopped. Otis Thorpe picked up two fouls right at the, in the early part of the first quarter. And Akeem, the next time down, called for the ball against Carl Malone and absolutely flattened him. With, I mean, just plowed into him in the paint. And, and Malone's on the ground, and, and Akeem got down on his face and said, that's a foul. Stop cheating. And then the Rockets dominated the yeah. rest of the series. You know, but other than that, Akeem was not somebody who needed to say things to the media. He just wanted to go out and play harder than everybody else and be better and block every shot, still the all-time NBA shot block leader, and then go home. And there was no no BS, you know. My question to you is, I obviously we're putting the focus on that championship year. Did you feel during mm-hmm. the finals against the Orlando Magic – Maybe this team was just not. What's the word I'm looking for? Did they, did they, it didn't seem like they were going to match up well against the Orlando Magic. Did you feel that, or did you I, feel that there was just so much experience on that team, and there was so much inexperience on the Orlando team between Shaq, Penny, and the rest of that squad that it wasn't going to be that big of a drop off? There were two factors for me. One, at that time, I was a total homer. Nothing existed except for the Houston Rockets. And two, the reunion of Olajuwon and Drexler brought such a different level of energy to the team, a different level of confidence. I just felt like they were, it was destiny. I really felt like that team was going to go all the way. They were going to win it because uh, Clyde and Akeem had that, wanted to prove that together. You know? The other thing was I knew uh, Shaq was raw and, uh, you know, even when he was better, even when he started to get into his prime and Akeem was at the end of his prime, Akeem still had him because of the footwork and the quickness. And uh, so I felt like that was going to be something where Shaq was backing people down into the paint and then knocking them over and stepping on them and dunking, and the refs were allowing him to do that. But you weren't going to do that with Akeem because Akeem wasn't going to allow you to sit on his leg. Like that, the way that you back someone down, Akeem just, you couldn't do that with Akeem. Because he would spin, he would move, he would come around. You would try to put your body on him, and he would reach around, tip the ball away, and he's dribbling off down to the other end of the floor. So I knew there were several distinct advantages where power versus finesse, the finesse was going to win. And then we'd seen Akeem do it for years. And then, as you said, that was a very raw Orlando team. It was Anthony Hardaway. It was Dennis Scott. Um, They relied very heavily on three-point shooting and – 
not as much on defense. And three-point shooting is something that often goes away uh, when the game matters most. We saw that with John Starks the year before. He shot the Knicks right out of the finals. Um, Even though you might be a great shooter during the season, as the games start to matter more, sometimes with the lack of experience, that goes away. And that was another way the Rockets had an advantage. Do you think that Houston team was one of the few teams that, you know, we, we talked about on how the super team sort of took over the NBA over the last few years. But that was the first sure. time we saw a team go a little hybrid there and more went with the guard and the smaller forward system. There was times you had Robert Ory at that time who was a solid three playing the four position. Yeah. He played four a lot. So that, yeah, that was, yeah. And, yeah, so, and he and Akeem together, I mean, you didn't, you just couldn't go to the rim because they were both outstanding shot blockers. So yeah, that that yeah, was the was, thing. The hybrid, the hybrid situation was created because you traded your starting power forward for a starting shooting guard, and then Vernon Maxwell pouted and disappeared, and so you're down, really down two starters. Uh, and or, but hey, Ori stepped in brilliantly uh, in that situation. That yeah, was the beginning of the big true. shot Bob uh, era in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and he was – But then, you know, the, the Rockets, the Rockets they, they tried to no, – I mean, they addressed it the next year when they went and got uh, Charles Barkley, a move I hated at the time. I never cared for Charles Barkley's game, and I did, certainly didn't care for his mouth. And so when he came to the Rockets, it was like, oh, man, a player I just really don't like is on a team that I really love. That was hard to stop. You know, it's funny It's funny you say that because I went the opposite with the Nets. You had a guy like Stephon Marbury who I just didn't like. After watching him play for the, the amount of time that I did, you just knew Stephon, you know, Stephon Marbury was just not a guy who can lead a team. He's a, he's a good second, third piece at that point in time. They had no leadership abilities mm-hmm. whatsoever, and they traded him for Jason Kidd, who's Mr. Team, who's all about the, yeah. you know, I'm going to make everybody else around me better. And so when all of a sudden, while they're going, when the Nets are going, now you're starting to see the Keith Van Horn you saw during his rookie year being able to drop 30 points in a game. Now you're starting to see yeah. what Kenyon Martin's strengths are, what Kerry Kittles is able to do as a contributor, what you have in a guy mm-hmm. – and Todd McCullough, who was a serviceable center at that point in time. Lucius right. Harris coming off the bench, being able to put 15 points in if, if needed. You had So you knew what you had. And, of course, Richard Jefferson, who became – I think Richard Jefferson was one of those guys where if you look at his basement on the, all of his retired jerseys, I think there might have been only yeah. seven or eight teams in the league he doesn't have <laughs> one for. Because That's he right. was everywhere. I, I, I think the only team he, was, he didn't play for he, was – the. He was one of those guys no, that everybody wanted because he would do everything. He defended well. He he could score if you needed him to score. If you if he wasn't getting the ball a lot, he played just as hard on the defensive end. Uh, you know that that's one of those guys that it's like a Shane Battier. You know Shane Battier. Yeah. yeah, you want him to shoot, he'll drop some threes. But whether he's getting the ball or not, he's going to be one of the best damn players on the floor. <laughs> you know, on both ends of the floor. Uh, high basketball IQ, um, just all around everything you want from a from a non-star type player. Every team needs one of those guys. Uh, Buck Williams was that for the Portland Trailblazers. 
you mentioned Robert Ory was that for uh, for Houston. Um, you know, these guys that are just, Bruce Bowen was that for the Spurs for so long. A guy Dennis Rodman, you know, for the Bulls. I don't care if I get the ball into the basket, I'm pushing it out to Michael. You know, <laughs> like you've got guys that'll come in and, and just play so hard that they can be great on pretty much any team. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing. And if you remember, I think it was the night the six the 2016 finals when the Cleveland went down 0-2. Richard Jefferson, you saw him on the floor constantly going to the basket, and we all kept on saying, "What a concept! If you go to the basket, you're gonna you're gonna score points." You're, because against, especially against the Warriors at that point in time, you're just not going to, you know, you, as long as you keep cutting to the basket and moving without the basketball, and that was something that was, Richard was able to do very, very, very well. Um, really That's going right. Back to this Houston Rocket, going back to this Houston Rocket team, a uh, very interesting lineup that they had. Kenny Smith, Sam Cassell, Clyde Drexler, Vernon Maxwell, who went MIA after Drexler got there, um, Matt Bullard, now Tracy Murray, my question during that finals time was where was their rebounding and their defense really going to come from? And that's something that to me, which when they went against Orlando, I thought Orlando basically, Orlando basically was very, very balanced at that point in time between Nick Anderson, Dennis Scott, Penny Hardaway, Shaquille O'Neal, Horace Grant. You had some good guys coming off the bench at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just a very interesting type of lineup that Orlando was, was having at that point. And then it disappeared. You know, you, you would just think because there was a little bit more balance, but I guess that's one of those things where you just have to ride the hot wave, and Houston had the hot wave at that point. Everything. Momentum is everything in the playoffs. Uh, and remember, the Rockets were not really healthy. They limped into the playoffs, the sixth seed. Um, they really – they hadn't had the team together because Hakeem was hurt. A bunch of injuries happened. And then they got healthy at the right time. They got Clyde at the right time. Everything clicked. And that, you know, I think people don't realize. Um, so now the great teams, you know, San Antonio, Golden State, Chicago, the great teams that are there every year in the discussion every year, um, that's one thing. But then you have other teams. The, hey, Rick Adelman, Sacramento Kings is a perfect example. You have teams where there's a brief window where everything has to click just the right way for you to win. And if things, your one injury, one bounce of the ball off of someone's hand, one foul call, one situation, one chance situation can be the difference between a team being a champion and a team never winning it or, you know, not winning for a long time. Uh, and that, you know, the chemistry that the Rockets built with the trade, everybody getting healthy, the energy that came from the reunion. This was a huge deal. The reunion of Akeem and Clyde was a huge, probably the biggest moment in Houston sports. Bigger than Nolan Ryan, no hitters, Mike Scott, no hitters, bigger than, you know, Jeff Bagwell, home runs and, the World Series, even for the Astros, that reunion of Akeem and Clyde was a massive moment for the Rockets, and that is the momentum, and that is the energy 
that they rode into the playoffs, and that's what carried them to the championship that year. I guess my last my last one or two questions before we're out of time here. Um, I, I guess the real question also, looking back at Drexler's legacy for this season, because I think I think you know what's the expression? Every championship has a every every championship has a story. Every story has a journey. Type of phrasing. Yeah. For Drexler, is it is it validation? Because you were around there when this all happened, and you yeah. were a diehard fan of that team when it happened. Your opinion? Did this validate his greatness, or is it more of like the this was the great? You know, he only played two more seasons, two or three, three more, two or three more seasons after this happened. Was this his validation, or was this the? the icing on the cake of a great career. I think, I think a little of each, I mean, people who watched the Blazers for all those years knew that Clyde was, I mean, if it wasn't for Michael Jordan, Clyde had a championship in Portland, kind of like Dominique Wilkins in Atlanta, you know? Um, It's just that the Blazers didn't quite get there. Uh, But Clyde was an incredible, he was, yeah, no, I know exactly. They're, they didn't get Michael both years, but the Pistons were incredible. I mean, you know, the fact that they didn't win the championship, they got to the finals twice. Clyde Drexler was the best player in the Western Conference and the second best shooting guard in the NBA for years. So when he got to Houston, he got his title, and that was great. But he didn't, I don't know that he needed validation. I do think the validation comes in the fact that Portland acted like he was done. He's washed up. We got to trade this guy, and then he showed them how washed up he was. That's the validation, not career validation, but validation in the eyes of Blazers fans who had turned on him. And he showed them that it was not his fault the Blazers were going down. He can still help a team win a championship and be a critical part of it. Unfortunately, the following year, getting Barkley cost Hakeem. It cost Clyde because Barkley was not a player. He didn't come in with Clyde's mentality of what can I do to help this team win, keep winning. Barkley came in with the attitude that it's his team and everybody else needs to cater to him. And that was ultimately what drove Drexler to retire. And I guess also has to ask the question that goes with it too is was bringing in Scotty Pippen and to have the four of them together the final straw for Clyde? No, the final straw for Clyde was Church Street Station. Uh, Orlando fans and and Rockets fans will remember this. Charles Barkley threw a patron. He was in the bar down there in Church Street Station, downtown Orlando. He threw a bar, threw a patron, threw a plate glass window at a bar, right? Clyde was in charge of of Barkley on the road. When they were on the road somewhere, he was supposed to stay with Charles and keep him out of trouble. Now, Clyde had told Charles, it's time to go back to the hotel. I'm tired. Let's go. Barkley said, you go ahead. I'm going to stay here. Not five minutes after Clyde left was when Barkley got into that fight with the bar patron, threw him through the window, blah, blah, blah. And Clyde was like, I'm done babysitting. I just, this is stupid. I'm babysitting a grown man. And that's (laughs) not what I want to do. I'd rather retire. But Pippen was awful. I mean, Pippen in Houston was 
terrible. If I had ever had any use for him as a player, I lost any respect I had for him for the way he behaved and the way he played in Houston. Portland, by the way, too, they shot, he shot them single-handedly out of a return trip to the finals uh, against the Lakers one game. So Pippen is not very high on my list of great players that I remember in Houston. If I ask you the legacy of Clyde Drexler as a member of the Houston Rockets, what is it? It's a championship. It's five slamma jamma uh, gone pro. It's a story of two best friends who competed against each other for years and then won it all together. It's a Cinderella story. It's the story that you always want to see, a feel-good story of a guy who was so good for so long, couldn't quite win a championship, comes home in front of his hometown crowd with his best friend and wins a championship uh, for his city, for himself, uh, and it's his only ring. I mean, that, that right there, the fact that Clyde Drexler came to a team that had just won a championship, recognized what they needed from him, and he, and he gave it to them. That's a rare ability does, for a player to be able to do that. Does it hurt him that it wasn't his team, that he was not the number one guy? Not to me, um, because, again, let's say Dominique Wilkins had left uh, Atlanta and gone to Utah and won a championship with Stockton and Malone. Does that diminish Dominique at all? I don't, I don't think so at all. I think it – Again, it shows Clyde was the guy. The only way it, the only way the championship does anything to the rest of his career by him not being the guy is if you didn't watch him as the guy for years in Portland as an elite, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer, gold medal winning. His his resume is just fine. Uh, I just think it, it's as you said earlier, the icing on the cake. He got a championship. He was a huge part of that championship. He didn't. He wasn't the sixth or seventh guy. He wasn't the old guy, you know, playing the leadership role. He was a leader on that team. He's a, as big a part of the reason for that championship as Akeem was. And that, to me, says an awful lot about him. And, and no, I think three trips to the finals, there are a lot of players that are amazing Hall of Fame players that don't get to the finals. You know? Well, Bill, well, Bill, I got to tell you, this, this was an education. <laughs> I think the first time, you know, we're, we're still working at the kinks on how we're doing this, but I think this was a good start. What do you think? I love it. Hey, man, there are a lot of players that have kind of been forgotten in the some of the younger fans of the league today that are caught up in how great, you know, LeBron is the greatest player of all time. No, he's really not. There are a lot of amazing players that that don't come to mind for modern fans of the NBA, and that's what makes sports so great is the history. Whether All sports, baseball, basketball, football, no matter what sport you're watching, the people who made the league what it is today matter, and Clyde is one of those people. Well, Bill, we're going to keep everybody on suspense for next week, what we're going to do. Um, so you and I will discuss the topic during the week. We'll get the research out a little bit, little, little bit more. We'll expand out uh, whatever the next topic is going to be. But this was a lot of fun. Uh, this, you know, this will probably post uh, sometime on Friday morning. So 
Bill, I want to thank you. Let everybody know where they can find you on social media. Absolutely. Uh, and, hey, if you've got a question or a topic you'd like to hear us discuss, just shoot it to me. I'm at the Rocket Guy on Twitter. You can find uh, my writing, backsportspage.com. But, uh, but hit me up on Twitter. Send me a message. Uh, and chances are if you ask about something, we'll talk about it because we just uh, we love to know what fans want to hear, and we love talking about it, obviously. So, and thank you, Randy, for, uh, for being a great co-host here. Thank you. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to keep making this uh, – we're going to keep growing this and making this good, and eventually we're going to start setting up a fan poll. We're going to we're gonna let the fans vote on what the topic's going to be. For the first couple of shows, we're going to have to – we're going to force feed them the first couple of shows. We're going to have to let them know that they like it first. <laughs> so, all right, right, Bill. Guys, follow me on Twitter at RandyBSB, at BackSportsPage. We'll see you guys next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.